0: We are delighted to welcome Barwon Health Foundation as sponsors of Room 64. If you would like to support palliative care services at Barwon Health, please contact the Barwon Health Foundation at barwonhealthfoundation.org.au. to another episode of Room 64. I'm Christine Brooks and I'm joined today with uh, Jen Walsh and um, I'm going to get
1: Jen to introduce herself at this stage. Thanks, Christine. Good to be back for another year of Room 64. Um, I'm in a slightly different role now. I am still with the palliative care team, but I am a project officer and I'm working on LGBTIQA inclusion within palliative care. It's great to have you on board, and we'll probably
0: at some stage, maybe in the next couple of episodes, get you on board to give us some more detail about that project, I think. It'd be great to uh, get your perspective um, on that space, so that'd be good. So um, we've also got on board with this today and uh, having a conversation with Tonya Court, and Tonya, I'll get Tonya to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her involvement with the palliative care um team and unit at uh, at Bowen health I used to work with Tonya so it's lovely to see you see you again and um, thanks very much for being involved but tell us a little bit about uh, what what's brought you here Tonya
2: well, thanks, Jen and Christine, for having me. Um, so my unique journey, I guess, with palliative care is a bit of a, a full circle um, approach now. So um, so I first came to um, get to know the team and, and have the services of Barwon Health um, in 2009 when my late husband got diagnosed with um, stomach cancer um, and... Yeah, after a diagnosis of seven months, he'd passed um, passed away. Um, but we got to know Bowen How through the palliative care um, services, community palliative care um, in two thousand and nine, and they were fantastic, along with Geelong Hospital as well, and um, his local GP. Um, were fantastic. Um, Russell Armstrong was the first, um, probably the first person we came in contact with in a time of um, crisis. And uh, he was amazing. And um, it's just so lovely that I've been able to come full circle and um, just completing a three month um, placement here at Bowen Health with um, Russell as my supervisor. So Russell was great. And then obviously having the services of the community palliative care nurses that came out, um, Richard wanted to be at home. Um, so didn't want to be in the hospital. So they were great in offering services and daily. Jenny eyes and Jill Carter were angels in coming out um, with the intern at the time to... Yeah, to visit us and take care of our family and I was just so impressed with the holistic care that they gave and um, I think because Richard was so young, he was only 35 when he died, um, which is rare for, for um, stomach cancer patients, uh, I think um, the intern at the time, Andrew, he was, yeah, I think, you know, really hit home for him as well. So it was really nice to have that human aspect because he was, you know, so close in age. Um, it was great that you know, these people that were professionals also could see the toll it took on our family and, yeah, I had young kids at the time. So, But it was really nice to just have them sit in that space, yeah, as well.
0: Talking about your young family, you had two two little kids Mm -hmm. and um, how did the quality and professionalism of the care that you got through Bowen Health, what difference did that make for your two children?
2: Yeah, I think... um, him wanting to be at home and to die at home, you know, was a big decision, but obviously, yeah, you know, that's what he wanted. So, of course, that's what we were going to do. Um, So I think just being in the home and um, the kids were sort of five and one at the time, Um, so Owen, our eldest, he – yeah probably took in a lot more you know but I think just seeing the nurses and the doctors come and their friendly faces and their calm reassurance and their yeah ability to just yeah you know talk to him and make him feel at ease when they're bringing stuff in and equipment and things like that um I think that was yeah really important um and I didn't want to shy away from that too in exposing the kids to you know to that kind of stuff as well this is this is part of grief this is this was part of our journey all that stuff is was needed to help him feel comfortable so it was i think for us as a family it's important to be able to see that you know as well but they were really reassuring and always you know um chatted with the
0: kids and yeah were really great it's a journey you know the whole, the whole things a journey and and you know for, certainly for me that journey still continues <laughs> you know the palliative care unit they play a big part in that journey, don't they? You know, like they, they play a big part in terms of the education that they give us yeah. and also the care that, that they give us. Do you have a sense that there is um, any sort of key messages that you wanted to get across from that experience
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple for me that really stood out was the the patient-centred care. And I've been involved in, you know, allied health and disability. So very aware of that family-centred practice and and that's what they were doing in a sense, yeah, um, with their patient, you know, centred care and it was all about his wishes and making those wishes, you know, um, as doable as possible and as practical as possible with what we had. I mean, I had no idea how to administer drugs and things and so all that logistical side was was great. You know, they walked me through all that um, as well as, yeah, equipment as well as, you know, um, information about grief staff having access to Russell and um, you know counsellors and things like that as well so it was a very well-rounded service and that it took care of of all those things it wasn't just about the medical and I think that's a really important thing that and I think you know brought home to me during the placement that you know often the medical stuff is is initially what what we want to know you know how long have they got what's what's the prognosis you know what Depending on what stage they're in, but once once I mean you can look up information like that on the internet. You can you know listen to them, but once all that settles, essentially you know you're there with them you know day day by day for however long it is, and all that other stuff kind of can pale into significance. But I think it's when they're when they're gone, when they've packed up their things and they've wished us well and they said you know they'll be back next week. It's just you and, you know, the person that you love that is terminally ill and your family and it's like, now what do we do? So they were really great at offering, yeah, education around that and balancing, you know, work and family and really understanding of all that too, that it is a family, that this is not just the patient. You know, um, cancer affects, you know, the whole family and has that ripple effect
0: One of the themes that we 're focusing on this this year is is family so you've you've sort of brought that up you know really really nicely and it is it's more than just the patient isn 't it and uh, that it's um, it does affect everybody
2: absolutely and I think one of the things i um, that's really good that you said that it prompted me to to think about um you know, with grief and the journey that we had, you know, it was sudden, it was, you know, unexpected and um, we don't talk about it enough, grief enough in the community. So when it happened, you know, to us, um, I wanted to keep our friends and family, you know, informed of what was going on. So I used to do a weekly email just so we wouldn't get those awkward questions, just so when we saw people, they wouldn't say, you know, you know, is everything okay or, you know, how are you and not knowing what was happening. So that was a really good thing and it was quite cathartic, you know, I think for me um, as well, but it kept everyone informed of what was happening. So every week, you know, I'd send out an email and just to let people know. But it was also, I think, important for me to to share my journey. You know, um, you guys know me, Jen knows me. I wear my heart on my sleeve. So it was like, let's just get this out there. This is what I'm going through. Um, one day, God forbid, you know, hopefully it would never happen to you. But, you know, I just wanted to share, you know, my journey and be open with that because we don't talk about grief enough. And I think, you know, especially in the last two years, if COVID's taught us anything, it's brought a lot of grief to the surface. And it's not just grief isn't just something, um, you know, someone that you love that you lose. It's a loss of lots of things. And I think, you know, COVID has given us, you know, a great space to be able to start those conversations and what you're doing with the podcast, you know, and and things like this is is perfect because we all go through it, we all experience, and I think if we can learn to sit with the uncomfortable and sit through those some of those uncomfortable conversations, it's going to make it easier, you know, in the long run.
0: Yeah, and and you know, the the more we talk about it, yeah. as hard and as crappy as it mm. is. The more we talk about it, and I'm not going to say the easier it gets because it doesn't, no. but the, the, I think the more it prepares, it, it, you have a feeling that it prepares you for something, perhaps prepares us for the inevitable, <laughs> unfortunately. But it, I think it just, maybe it's that stuff to do with what is it, a problem shared, is a problem halved or something, you know, I, I don't know, you know, and you can have all those crap analogies. But at the end of the day, the more we're talking about it, it seems to me the better for all all of us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, for me, you know, it it did open some conversations and people were more willing to talk to me, I guess. And I think um, one of the things that that I found difficult with my grief journey and, um, you know, whether this resonates with you guys, but Sometimes coping with everyone else's grief was the hardest thing. I, I was grieving, I think, most of, most of my grief was while he was sick and while he was here um, and having him at home. And once he died, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, as, you know, a huge, you know, burden, um, I think, because I was doing a lot of my grief then. But for a lot of my family and friends, um, it, it was hard sometimes to deal with there. Grief and to understand, you know, what I was going through, but also for for me to, you know, have patience and show a bit of grace sometimes when you know when things would would get too much. Um, but. To know how to sit with other people's grief, you know, uh, you know, immediate family, extended family, friends, because often they didn't know what to say, or they might accidentally say something that, um, you know, if it was the wrong morning, you know, would trigger something. But um, I think, yeah, sharing my stuff allowed me to, sh- you know, I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes, but this is this is what we're going through. It's real, it's tangible, it's yeah. Really hard, but um, you know, I want to let you in to this journey. You know, if you will let me, and yeah, maybe you know. Hopefully, you can learn something. Maybe hopefully, you can understand a bit more.
0: Yeah, mm, it's a good thing to do. Just you know, just in terms of Richard's experience, do you think? Um, do you think, like he obviously wanted to die at home? Um, do you think he? um i'm tempted to say appreciated and it's the wrong word but do do you think that him being able to stay at home and and this the level of service that he got through the palliative care team do you think that made it easier for him
2: yeah look i think so i think you know there were there were doubts at the start and i definitely had doubts about you know him being at home and and i remember one night sitting out in my backyard thinking how how are we going to do this you know um, but this is this is what he wants um, so the staff were, were great in just reassuring me that I could do this and they had enough faith in me that you know we could we could do this um, but I think they they always listened to what he wanted even if they thought in their professional opinions that maybe it wasn't such a good idea they always listened and considered and we had dialogue about that and I think that is the difference. You know, I think there's a real power imbalance when patients and families come in here that, you know, the professionals and the people, um, you know, volunteers and and everyone that works in this space, um, you know, is providing essentially a service, you know, for families. And so it comes with a lot of, yeah, you know, knowledge and and skills and specialised skills, but that can often create a bit of a power imbalance sometimes and and people might feel a bit disempowered to you know because I just don't know what they want or they really want something but it's just not going to happen so I think um our experience they were really good at just listening considering all the options and um, allowing us to make those informed choices that we could as in the best you know with what we've what we had basically
0: So to, just to move on a little bit, Tonya, mm-hmm. Jen mentioned to me earlier on that um, you either have written a book or you're in the process of writing a book. Are you able to talk to us about that? Yeah,
2: so we've, um, words and poetry have always been something that I've loved to do and um, during that period um, when Richard was sick after his diagnosis, I started writing some poetry and ended up doing um, an exhibition with a friend, um, photographic and poetry exhibition, which was great and raised money for um, gastric cancer research. So that was really great. Um, and I've written a second lot of poetry with a, a different friend that focuses a bit more on... Um, Yeah, I think the journey after grief, the poems weren't happy clappy at the start. They were pretty, you know, pretty deep, but that was what I was going through. But I think, again, that's important to be able to share that. Um, But I really would love to get some resources out about um, for children and, and teenagers. There's not a lot of stuff out there around Um, them asking, you know, real questions and having real honest answers and using the, you know, correct terminology. So when I get time now and again, I delve back into, yeah, you know, devising a set of books for, yeah, perhaps older children, um, you know, kind of from, you know, seven up to, you know, probably teenagers about um, grief and, you know, what happens when a parent dies, what happens when a pet dies, you know, those kind of things that, you know, not very many books in the library you can go and grab out about. There's there's pamphlets and information but it's not kid-friendly or it's not really accessible and, you know, inclusive as far as culture and, um, you know, and gender and all sorts of things. I think there's a real gap in the market for that. So one day... (laughs)
1: Well, the other thing that I was just thinking is we've talked about um, Richard being young and we've talked about your kids being young, but, like, you were young as well and there's an element of you being a young carer and possibly not seeing yourself in other carers or materials or anything like that.
2: Yeah, that's a really great point you make. Um, When uh, a spouse, you know, I think different from having a a parent, you know, that you're caring for – I was quickly very much thrusted into the world of, not wife, but carer, you know, and that kind of took over some days, some weeks, you know, towards the end, especially um, where is that line between being a young, yeah, mum trying to balance working, um, you know, in, in disability and um, and having to come home and switch off at the end of the day from work and come home and and put my carer's hat on, you know, when it used to be come home put my wife and mum hat on. And I was still that, absolutely. But it is incredibly difficult, I think, for carers and especially young, um, younger people that are juggling, you know, work and family and um, things to, to be able to, you know, which hat am I wearing today? Which hat is going to be most, you know, pertinent to my day? Um, how do I switch transition between the two? How do I just be a wife to him when he needed a wife? When, when did I take that hat off and become a carer? So yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you know, great that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of carers probably, you know, that's something that is a huge struggle, you know, that I struggled with, whether it was, you know, being younger or, um, but I think, you know, all carers, you know, have that, you know, have a sense of just, which hat am I wearing? And, you know, who do you need me to be today? That was the first thing when we wake up in the morning. It's like, who am I going to be today? You know, what do you need from me? You know, um, it was a really, yeah, important question.
0: Did you have a sense that you were supported or helped or had the opportunity to have that discussion with anybody at the time or was it just something that was just there and, and was a constant, who am I today?
2: I think, um, you know, I had a really supportive family and um, Richard's family, you know, were were a great support as well. But there are often times when I think it's good, um, you know, I'm probably biased now obviously, you know, becoming a counsellor, but I think it's really good to have people outside the family, a neutral person that you can vent to, that you can... And so Barwon Health offered, you know, offered that. There were some support groups that they wanted to link me into as well, which I um, did a little bit um, of that for a time as well. Um, Wombat's Wish was another organisation that, you know, really helped um, in providing links for that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, they're really uh, – the bereavement part as well, the bereavement part of um, Bowen Health and the service that they bring was really helpful, you know, in that, you know, once he died, yeah, what what happens now, this new normal that we have to get through, Um yeah, I think was was really good. Um, since then, I've, I've started a, a support group um, called Lighthouse Friends, which is for young widows that have children that whose spouses have passed away and that's been amazing to see, yeah, um, you know, just this group of amazing women um, be able to share stuff and, yeah, just we get it, you know, so.
0: So the name of that group again? Yeah, it's
2: Lighthouse Friends.
0: Lighthouse Friends. Yeah, you can find it on
2: Facebook. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, But yeah, that was just something that I I felt, yeah, like Jen said, you know, there wasn't really, there were support groups around, but a lot of them had older women and guys in there as well. So, you know, for me being 35 and having young kids, yeah, it was hard to relate sometimes. But um, yes, that's why I wanted to, to start it up. And, you know, it's been great.
1: You talked about your weekly emails and how it reduced, I guess, the pressure of you having to answer questions. And one thing that we hear a lot in palliative care and just in general life is people are always afraid of saying the wrong thing or asking the wrong thing. You have the unique experience of, of being on the receiving end of those wrong things. So I guess, um, what would your advice be for people who are scared of saying the wrong thing to somebody who's... Um, unwell, or to a carer. What are what are some of those gems that that as a person going through it, you found to be supportive?
2: I think for me, and I, and I I can speak from from my experience. But just ask questions. I think with anything that you're not sure of, just ask. You know, it's okay to ask me. It's okay if you're not sure, even. Uh, one thing I've been quite passionate about is, you know, often we refer when someone dies as, you know, passed away. I, and I used to say, it's okay, you can say he's dying, he's dying, he's going to die, you know, it's okay to use that word. Often they would, um, if something got brought up in an email, they would either email me back or, or have a conversation. Um, but I think even sometimes, you know, that they didn't want to, They didn't want to burden me, like they were obviously struggling with their own grief and didn't want to burden me maybe to think to ask questions or that I was happy to. So I think just reminding people or just, you know, putting down some boundaries, especially with family, um, you know, putting some boundaries down around what you think you can handle and what you think you can't. You know, my um, sister-in-law was great at kind of fielding, you know, questions and other things from perhaps more external people and and just um would send me a text you know Are you feeling okay today do you want to someone wanted to talk to you about something or there was something we had to sort out with the estate or you know something you know can you do that today so that's always helpful if you can find someone that will kind of help with that stuff um the practical stuff of sorting out not only you facing the loss of you know an important someone in your life but all the paperwork, you know, that goes with it and all the questions and the things that you need to sort out, unanswered questions. So, um, yeah, I think just, yeah, having an advocate or someone that you can just um, vent to and, you know, be that kind of person to field things when when you're not coping so well is really good. Just ask questions. And um, for us, I think one of the important things that came up was just – logistical things, you know, having things and joint names and things because he had a business and I had no idea how to close his business. What what was I going to do? The accountant was amazing. But, yeah, just all those logistical things that you don't think of when you're alive or questions that you haven't thought of. It's like, you know, I'm so lucky. We're so lucky that he had, you know, that extra time because there's all these passwords that I, <laughs> I didn't know that. How the heck was I going to you know and and institutions are asking for these passwords to access you know bank accounts and all that stuff that just you know can get so overwhelming um you know after he died so you know just you know communication making sure someone knows all that stuff you know so that your family doesn't have to you know sort, <laughs> sort through and try and find that
0: i think that's really important you don't you don't you know you kind of think of that stuff at the time but yeah So just on that, in terms of the asking of questions and and what we were talking before about, um, you know, having more of the conversations about grief and and death, and the more we have, I I think, but the more that we have those conversations, the easier it will be for people to use the word dying, to use the word dead, to then know what to say to someone who is dying or a family member who is, has got someone who in their life who is dying, you know, that the, the conversations that we can have are going to make it easier to have the intimate conversations as, as we get to, you know, as we're experiencing that situation where someone is dying.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, with the world around us at the moment and with what's happened in the last couple of years, you know, unless you're living under a rock, you You've seen people on the news dying. You've seen there's death, you know, happening at the moment with the, with the um, conflicts overseas, you know, with people, yeah, in the ICU dying on a ventilator from COVID. We all, you know, our beloved dog died a few, you know, weeks ago. It's like this is something that we're all... this. We can't be immune to this because we're all going to experience the well, like death and <laughs> taxes or the certainties in life. Um, but, you know, and especially for our kids, especially for that younger generation, I think, you know, um, you know, they're they're living in a time of huge adversity and there's grief, I think, that's quite palpable now around the community. So go if you have to. Go if you need to. I don't think you can ever be ready for for losing someone you love. But I think, you know, like you said, if we can just have some of those conversations like the Dying to Know You Day and, you know, this podcast and just books, literature about it that's inclusive, I think, you know, we'll just Bringing those conversations to the forefront often when we least want to talk about them and we probably don't want to talk about it at the moment with everything that's happening around us. But, you know, I think when we share, like you said, share our understandings and understand that, you know, this is something that we will all go through and that we journey differently, but there are some commonalities that, you know, I think are really good to share and things that we can, you know, say, me too, you know, me too, you know, yeah, I felt that. So we don't have to carry that burden alone. Doors are closing, the lovers is ebbing tight. Feelings once so strong We don't seem to lie.